from Revelation 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she's to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brother has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto the end. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The word of the Lord. So that passage is pretty self-explanatory. Um, if you want to know great theology and you want to study it, read over Hark the Herald Angels Sing again and again and again and again. It is fantastic work. Also, I just wanted to do, as long as you're doing a little historical theology, um, our brother, uh, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, passed away today. Um, and you should do some work with him, a person who was in jail for a long time and got out of jail and created a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Okay, that's enough of that. Have you ever seen a really weird movie? Yes. 
Yes, I know, Chris, you have. <laughs> um, maybe it was anime or an obscure type of Bollywood, a French New Wave film, or maybe Japanese dystopian epic. Those genres you may not be familiar with, I've watched a little, one, a little bit of each of them, though not much of anime. And I know that hurts some people's feelings, and I'm sorry. But when you enter into those cinematic genres, it can be bewildering. It's often not linear, often not chronologically ordered. Um, there's sometimes the stuff on the screen can have you shriek back or scratch your head because you don't exactly know what's going on. But there are, these are established lanes which stories are told in that throngs of people understand. They know how to interpret the clues. They ignore some of the salacious stuff and get to the points that aren't always readily available for us. This is what it's like reading Revelation. It's a genre we're not used to. Um, it's called apocalyptic literature. And though we've been in it all through Advent, I haven't spoken much about its genre. And sometimes we moderns and Westerners uh, just aren't familiar with this. It's not our fault. But we'd be foolish to attend to these kind of stories as if it were an episode of CSI or Ted Lasso. I love Ted Lasso. As amazing as those genres are, they, they don't, you can't go at them at the same way. I say this because there's lots of traditions and even denominations who love the Bible, who've actually made a mess of Revelation. Because they read it like they're, it's a modern genre. That's why I usually trust traditions that are a few hundred years old before, uh, when, I'm, when I'm talking to people who are, are, re are reading from people about the book of Revelations. So think about it this way. Somebody 500 years from now comes back, somehow gets an episode or footage of QVC. Okay? There are these numbers going up and down. And sometimes they turn red and sometimes they turn green and sometimes they're depleting and sometimes they're going up. They're these flashing jewels called diamels that no one has ever heard of 500 years from now. And then there's this 1-800 number that keeps reappearing. And you start to try to make sense of it all. And if you don't watch it, you'll start missing the whole point. That's kind of what it's like sometimes in Revelation. Revelation is a letter to seven churches. So there was an expectation that they would read them and get what he was doing in those things from the writer John. And they were experiencing persecution, some at the very beginning of it, and some already martyred for their faith. And so they're a mix of these faithful congregations and those who are perilously close to denying the faith. One has lost its first love. One has um, tolerated all sorts of wickedness and division. But the letter is meant to communicate to real people. Revelation is written in kind of like seven epochs, cycles, six or seven, depending on how you look at it. That's how you're in Revelation 12, and you're getting the nativity. And 12, 13, and 14 is one of those epics. And it was already long enough reading, so I didn't go all the way through 14 on this. Even though I did it again, long readings go to somebody else, so it doesn't count against my time. <laughs> and the main players in this apocalyptic, fantastic vision are three. There's the virgin, and there's the sun, and there's the dragon. Yep. There's a dragon in Revelation's nativity scene. It's a wild and magical vision. The woman 
is clothed by the sun. Her feet sit on the moon, and she has a 12-starred crown. It's an image of Mary. She's the virgin, right? But it also harkens a little bit back to Eve, a kind of mashup of them both. She's crying out in birth pangs. Definitely, definitely Mary or Eve. But maybe it's the tribes of Israel because she has the 12 stars on her crown. You know, definitely Mary, though, unless it's Eve or the church. You see, it doesn't have to be just one. Those images are supposed to flash before you. And it should be no surprise to us that Eve and Mary would be mashed up together in some way, right? Remember back in the fall when we were in Genesis, Genesis 3, where the first gospel comes forth? God curses the serpent, and he says that um, he will put enmity, anger, between Eve's offspring and the offspring of the serpent, and that the offspring of Eve would crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent would strike its heel. See, hark the herald angel sing. Amazing. Amazing. And wouldn't it have to do with Israel too? Because how did that offspring end up making its way into the world but through God creating a nation for himself, a people, his own, Israel? All of this is wild and fantastic. But then there's this horrible image that comes up that's supposed to scare us. A dragon, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. It doesn't look like there are ten horns on each head, so most of them get one and some of them get some doubles or something like that. I don't know exactly how that works. And on his head are seven diadems. This one is a little easier to inter interpret. It gives us some clues. He was the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. You see, it's hearkening back to Genesis again. But it barked not just to the garden. The, dra the dragon is standing over the woman, the virgin, who's about to give birth so that it can consume or devour the newborn baby. What does that sound like? in the Christmas story. It sounds like Herod. So jealous of Jesus, so threatened by Jesus' reign and the prophecy about him, Herod would commit infanticide to all the babies of Israel. A dragon ready to devour. Remember, it doesn't have to be linear. linear. The images appear. Seven horns, or seven heads, ten horns. It's the serpent. It's Herod. It's an image of all evil that would try to thwart God's work in the world. That's what it is. Any violence against those born of Eve or the one born of Mary. And then there's the third character, the son. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to figure out who the child is. It's Jesus. You know that story, right? The kid in Sunday school? The answer is going to be always be Jesus, right? So the kids in Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher was just doing an icebreaker or something and says, hey, it's what is like furry and has four legs and a really beautiful tail and eats nuts and plays in trees? And little Sally answers, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. <laughs> The answer is Jesus in this one. And one day he'll rule the nations with an iron scepter or rod. By the way, that is, that is actually a very technical term for actually a shepherd's, staff, a shepherd's rod. It's meant to protect. 
It's what happens in, in Psalm 2 when a thousand years before Jesus, he's predicted to come. And then 80 years after Jesus did come, it now represents it here in the passage today. It sounds kind of menacing, but it's a shepherd's rod. It's to corral the sheep and then beat off um, the wolves that would come attack. The rule here is a shepherding rule. So she, Mary, Eve, the bride of Christ, give birth. And immediately he's taken to God. Now that doesn't really work in our way we sense things. But what's happening here is John is condensing the birth and the ascension when God goes back up into heaven. All in one little quick sentence. These epics that happen in Revelation, sometimes they stretch out parts and sometimes they condense parts. And so you just got to pay attention. So does that mean that John doesn't care about the death, resurrection, the perfect life of Jesus? No. He's just giving you this image. He goes from incarnation to ascension. He jumps over that. It's a strange kind of reading. But of course he thinks it's important. He's actually trying to get to us to concentrate on the cosmic consequences of Jesus' whole being. And so he shortens that part for us now. Then it gets interesting, as if it's not been interesting enough. Y'all, I really love this passage, by the way. You're probably all scratching your heads, but this is just amazing stuff, right? The bloodthirsty dragon comes out for the woman, and the woman flies into the wilderness where she's prepared by God, or a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. 1 800 something. The, the woman now, probably more representing the people of God, his chosen ones, the one that the promise is given to, she goes to a place prepared for her, not for judgment, not for persecution, but will be persecuted there, but for nourishment. God would nourish his church. She stays there 1,260 days, as one does. <laughs> now, don't start counting the days, because we don't even know where the days start counting. 1,260 days is three and a half years of 360 days a year, which is the way they counted. It's called a prophetic year. Sometimes it's referred to as days. Sometimes it's re referred to as months or in months. It, it, it's all over Daniel and Revelation. Sometimes it's referred to as times, which it will be in a second. But it's hard for us to understand, but it, what it's, something is, it's something like this. It is the completion of a season in one of the, uh, uh, the, um, the, the seasons in the life of redemptive history, the right amount, the prophetic year, but to be protected and nourished. And then the story gets really trippy, really trippy. The middle verse tells us about how the angels of heaven fought against this dragon, and the archangel Michael kicks the dragon's tail and then kicks him out with another third, kicks him out of the heavens. And so the dragon is mad and goes and tries to kill the woman. But the woman, of course, gets eagle's wings and flies off. Who saw that one coming? And she flies off to the wilderness. There she is to be nourished again for a time and times and half a times. That's another way of saying the prophetic year. It's another 1260 days. It's another right amount of time for 
what cycles in redemptive history to occur. So, since the serpent couldn't reach her by flight, he decided to flood her out. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth, one of his mouths, I'm assuming all his mouths have heads, after the woman to sweep her away in a flood. What do floods make you think of? Could it be Noah? Could it be the Red Sea? Or just another amazing image before us? We don't know exactly know what it is, but it's when evil comes and tries to destroy. And this seems amazing. And now it even gets even more awesome because the earth opens its mouth naturally and then absorbs the whole river that was coming out of his head. That's just cool. And I don't know where the mouth of the earth is, but who cares? It's really cool. And finally, the dragon gets fed up, knowing he cannot ultimately kill the woman or the son, and goes off to wreak havoc on the rest of her offspring. Chapter 12. So what? What does all this mean? What do all these images do? Why am I preaching this on Christmas, on the first Sunday of Christmas? It's actually stuck in the middle of these cosmic images where there's an interruption first in spoken word and then song. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they, God's people, have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore, now the song comes, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in a great wrath, because he know. He knows that his time is short. Please hear this. Christmas is not the first time God intervened in the world. Maybe the most important, but it's not the first time. And yet we rightly celebrate Jesus' coming as the infant king, the shepherd king. But Revelation sticks this back into the story of the entire Bible of God redeeming the world from beginning to end, from alpha to omega, if you will. And here's why. What he's saying to this persecuted church is, God does not give up on his people. He will be there to nourish for a perfect year or time, times, and half a time. Friends, you have given up, and I have given up, on his people many times. I've given up on myself way too many times. But God has not. There is no sin or folly or faithlessness that interrupts his redemptive activity in the world. That is the story of Christmas in Revelation. He has come as the shepherd king. And though we all have to deal with the raging and wrath of the dragon, his time is short. All those who were persecuted, who are now in heaven, are there cheering us on. They're waiting giddily in heaven for the great day, a four-hour praise dance performed every morn, just waiting for the dragon's jig to be up. Listen who conquers. 
They, us, have conquered him, the dragon, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, holding to the gospel of grace. For they loved not their lives even unto death. At the nativity scene, at creation, throughout the history of the church, in this cosmological story that he's putting before us, the church overcomes. John, the author, doesn't say Jesus overcomes. It's not because Jesus didn't overcome. It's just because it's a given. And us in him overcome. That's fools and weaklings like us that we would overcome. Conquer the dragon. That's a nasty-looking dragon. They would conquer by the cleansing and the empowering blood of Jesus and that testimony of grace. His life, his death, his resurrection, his, sec- his ascension, his second coming. Y'all, it is the realest deal in, <clears throat> in the universe. And I know that in the grinds of our days and sometimes it's, it seems less relevant than it ought to at times. But that's why this is such a fantastic, wild scene, because it's supposed to wake us back up into it, to refresh our hearts and our minds and our souls and our bodies. In Christ, God's people conquer sin and death. They kill the dragon. And we conquer by holding to the word of the testimony, to the gospel of grace and sacrificial love. He sent his son as an infant and preserves him, and therefore us, him as our savior and king, and us as people who conquer. And we can be numbskulls, but it doesn't change the redemptive story. This means we don't need to enter the world with a defensiveness, or try to be perfect, or try to be smart enough, or good enough. We hold to the testimony of God's grace, through his blood. And Redeemer, we know all too well that the red dragon wars against his people. He is ultimately chained and bound in heaven, but it sure seems like way too long a leash at times. What Christmas is about are not playground antics. John is giving us a war scene where evil wars against our souls and our minds and our hearts and our bodies. And we know this. We have not made it through this year unscathed by the rage of the dragon. We likely won't make it through next year either. The dragon kills and destroys. But because of the power of the blood of Christ, the grace that forgives us, enlivens us and empowers us, we are ultimately protected. We just hold on tight to the testimony. The story of Jesus, written in all seven ways in Revelation in four different Gospels and on tons of other places. The seed of Eve and the son of Mary, the shepherd king. And if we die trying, we die trying. Not even death can separate us from the power and love and kindness of the conquering king. And to to that, clearly hear from me. Revelation says, Merry Cosmic Christmas. One day we overcome by the blood of Christ and the testimony of his grace. Let's pray.
Lord, such a bizarre picture, yet such comfort. Help us lean in to things that we don't understand, but trust you in the overall message you have for us, which is that you keep us, you nourish us, you help us overcome by your blood and your testimony. Give us hope this day. Amen.